This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, April 7th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Glenn Greenwald has written a new paper for the Cato Institute, Drug Decriminalization in Portugal, Lessons for Creating Fair and Successful Drug Policies. In it, he chronicles decriminalization of drugs in that country since 2001 and provides some perspective on how the experiment might be repeated. We spoke before a Cato policy forum for the paper on Friday. Portugal was not some idyllic upper-middle-class country that was free of drug problems. I mean, this isn't Luxembourg or Monaco, um, where they could afford the luxury of some sort of libertarian experiment. Um, and, and actually, there was it wasn't a libertarian ideological dream either, based on the premise that adults should have the right to ingest into their bodies whatever substances they choose. Actually, what was happening was very similar to what's happening now in the United States, which was there was a booming drug crisis in Portugal, uh, primarily heroin, though cocaine as well. Addiction was out of control, and drug-related pathologies were rapidly increasing. And the more they criminalized, the worse the problem became. And so uh, in 1997, the Portuguese government convened a commission of experts health and, and policy-making experts, uh, with only one mandate, and that was to study drug policy options to determine what the optimal approach would be to getting these problems under control. Legalization or decriminalization was not any part of the mandate. The mandate was studying the most empirical and, and evidence, evidentiary-based uh, approach possible, what the optimal policy would be for uh, stemming the uh, increasing rise, the the rise of addiction and 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 the related pathologies, and what these experts concluded uh, unanimously was that decriminalization would far and away be the best approach. Uh, and once they issued their report uh, articulating the rationale as to why they thought decriminalization would be the best approach, a uh, commission, a legislative commission appointed by the parliament unanimously adopted it. Um, the parliament then voted for decriminalization in, in uh, September of 2000, and, and the law took effect in July of 2001. So the impetus behind it was to find some way for uh, government officials to uh, get the drug problem under control. What's driving the crime currently in Mexico that's spilling over into the United States now is not being driven by uh, drugs themselves. It's not really even that much being driven by the government. It's being driven by warring factions of people fighting for the, the privilege of providing drugs to the United States. How did this happen in Portugal, and what happened with, with any type of violence that was occurring there? Well, the decriminalization law actually continues, it applies only to usage and possession for personal purposes. The law uh, provides that what's decriminalized is the possession of drugs that would be sufficient for an average of 10 days of personal usage. So trafficking itself remains criminalized. Um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, there's not a legalization scheme in, in Portugal uh, that would enable us to study uh, what happened in Portugal and apply it to trafficking problems, such as the type that uh, is occurring in Mexico and on the southern border of the United States. But what we do know is that crime, drug-related crime in Portugal, has decreased uh, substantially. Um, and not only because it's been decriminalized, usage has, but because the population of drug users has lost the stigma 
of being branded criminals. And so the barrier that exists between the population and the government, when the population knows that they can be imprisoned and convicted and turned into criminals uh, for drug usage, has been removed. And as a result, there is much greater cooperation uh, between the government and the population, particularly in the area of treatment uh, for addiction and also for harm reduction, things like needle exchange and um, methadone clinics and the like. And so all of the uh, drug-related pathologies, uh, including crime, um, has improved dramatically since decriminalization. There was never really massive drug turf wars of the kind that the United States or Mexico has experienced uh, within Portugal. Um, so I'm not sure that that was really considered a significant problem. In any event, the ongoing criminalization of trafficking um, wouldn't enable us so much to analyze the effects of that on that problem. Break down the numbers. How, how uh, according to what you see as the relevant metrics, how, how, how has this changed Portugal? Well, you can just look at, at usage rates, um, which is probably the, the simplest um, metric to examine. Um, and pre-decriminalization, uh, the rates were skyrocketing. Um, every year they were increasing by between 10 and 15 percent. Um, it isn't the case that since decriminalization, usage rates have collapsed. Um, in certain demographics, they've continued to increase, although at a much slower pace than they increased previously. Um, in certain key demographic groups, like the 15 to 19 age group, which a consensus of drug policy experts believe is the most important uh, demographic class for determining future drug use. Um, there actually has, in absolute terms, been a decrease in the prevalence rates, meaning the percentage of citizens who try uh, illegal drugs or what were illegal drugs over the course of their lifetime in virtually every category of specific narcotics, uh, marijuana, heroin, cocaine, uh, methamphetamines. Uh, there is a discernible decrease in the amount of usage just in absolute terms within um, the adolescent and, and high school years. And, and it's very stark, that data. I think more meaningfully, though, is if you compare what is happening in Portugal to the rest of the EU member states and, and even states in the Western world that continue with a harsh criminalization scheme, such as the United States, uh, Australia, and Canada, uh, in certain categories of drug usage, um, the rates in Portugal, for example, for marijuana, are lower than every single other one of those countries and that I just identified. In other categories, such as cocaine and heroin, they're at the very low end. Um, there are countries, including the United States and Great Britain, with harsh criminalization schemes that are five, six, seven times greater uh, in terms of the prevalence rate than Portugal has, even for the narcotics that Portugal previously had the worst problems with, such as heroin. Um, and so you just can look at the trends in um, the EU member states that have criminalization and compare them to de post-decriminalization Portugal. Um, and the uh, conclusion is, is unavoidable that decriminalization has helped to stem the, the tide even of usage. The United States has exerted a lot of pressure on Latin American countries to maintain uh, a drug war at the behest of the United States. Was Portugal feeling pressure from other EU countries to, to maybe not move in this direction? Not so much from other EU countries, but from the United States. Um, in fact, one of the options that the council that I uh, described earlier was basically prohibited from considering was legalization. That was not an option they concluded early on that they should even examine because international treaty obligations on the part of Portugal uh, imposed at the insistence primarily of the United States, but other countries as well, uh, compel countries to maintain a legal prohibition on drug usage. Um, and in fact, some argue that Portugal's decriminalization law actually conflicts with those treaty obligations um, because the treaties don't only compel criminalization or prohibition, but actually compel criminalization. Uh, but Portugal 
decided to interpret its treaty obligations such that decriminalization would be allowed, um, but not legalization. In speaking with EU policy, drug policy makers, um, one of the complaints that they have raised repeatedly is that in trying to deal with the United States and most European countries, even the ones who have become more uh, more inclined to treat drug usage as a health problem, not a criminal problem, uh, believe that global efforts are absolute prerequisites because drug trafficking is international in nature. Um, drug consumption and, and the behaviors that lead to drug addiction uh, is universal and, and transcends cultural lines. And so there's a need for global cooperative approaches if, if they're to be effective. And the problem is that when dealing with the United States, especially over the last eight years, but even before that, the United States is almost single-mindedly fixated on uh, interdiction and, and trafficking efforts uh, of a criminal nature, trying to criminalize uh, trafficking, prosecuting the war on drugs against drug traffickers, and almost wants no discussion whatsoever of things like treatment options or harm reduction, um, and, and certainly not decriminalization. It's a single-minded fixation that they not only impose on themselves, but also attempt to pressure other countries to follow. Uh, Tim Lynch and other people uh, who are in the drug policy reform uh, movement are somewhat excited now to be living in the time that we are because they see a lot of prospects for reform here in the United States that haven't existed for a, a very long time. What are the lessons for Portugal, and what do you see as the potential for reform in the United States? Well, it's interesting because Portugal, as I said earlier, is not some you know liber libertarian nirvana, um, and it's not some uh, idyllic country that's so small in, in, in size and uh, free of social problems that they could afford to experiment without much controversy. It's a uh, the Catholic Church plays a very significant role in their cultural and political life. Um, it's a generally speaking, a socially conservative country. And so the idea of decriminalization was something that was able that they were able to introduce into their political discourse only by virtue of the approach they took, which was to convene a, pol a panel of apolitical experts and with a mandate to uh, assess the question in, in as apolitical a manner as possible. And only that way did the idea of decriminalization become something that politicians could afford to advocate. They stripped it down of the ideological and moral components. Um, from either direction. I mean, no arguments were made um, about freedom and no arguments were made about the immorality of drug usage. It was purely an empirical question um, as to what policies would work and which ones wouldn't. I think that's exactly what needs to happen in the United States. And one of the most encouraging signs uh, is that what I have always thought, or for a long time I've thought, was one of the most damning statistics about our country, which is that we compose less than 5% of the world's population and yet more than 25% of the world's prisoners or almost 25% of the world's prisoners worldwide are inside the United States that we become a complete outlier and a nation of jailers um, is now starting to get much more attention within mainstream discussion. I mean, Jim Webb alone, when he introduced his criminal justice bill last week, um, featured that statistic, which is an extremely potent indictment and a very vivid uh, illustration of what we're doing as a country. I think the more those kind of discussions are introduced into the discourse, um, the more receptive the populace will be to, um, to the idea that we ought to do something different. Glenn Greenwald is author of the books How Would a Patriot Act and A Tragic Legacy. He is most recently author of a new paper for the Cato Institute on drug decriminalization in Portugal. You can watch the Related Policy Forum and read the paper at Cato.org.